Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Before we get started, I want to thank all my listeners. My new book, All in the Same Boat, opened for pre-orders last week, and you guys just crushed it. We had orders from all over the country and from Australia, the UK, and India. So thank you for making this first week such a success. Pre-orders will continue for the next several months, and they'll only be available at allintheSameBoatBook.com. So pause this podcast, unless of course you're driving, and get your order in today so we, you can be amongst the first in the world to get this book. I guarantee this will be the most interesting leadership book you will read in 2021. If you ever wonder what life was like on a submarine at sea, this is your book. The powerful lessons I learned at sea helped me become a better leader on land, and this book will tell you how. So get your copy today. Thank you again for supporting this book launch and supporting this show. As a reminder, the best way to support this show is to visit my sponsors, BottomGunCoffee.com and IHaveTheWatch.com. Both use the discount code DEEP at checkout. Well, that's it. Today, my guest is Jawad Hassan. He is the author of a new book called What They Didn't Tell Me. In this book, he talks about his journey from an entry-level employee to the C-suite. If you've ever felt like you were stuck in your career or wonder what it takes to get to the highest levels of your company, this is your episode. So, are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to Deep Leadership. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former Cold War submarine officer who spent 20 plus years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Are you ready for some real world actionable advice from John as well as his expert guests? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The show starts right now. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Jawad Hassan. Jawad is the CFO at Axon, the global leader of connected public safety technologies like tasers and body cameras. He is the author of a new book called What They Didn't Tell Me, in which he draws upon his own personal experience to help people better manage their careers. This book helps people get past the things that get them stuck. As someone who spent 22 years in corporate America and experience that move up the corporate ladder and uh, the challenges associated with it. I'm really looking forward to this discussion. So, Jawad, welcome to the show. John, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. And this book is really interesting. I'm, I'm excited to talk about it. So I think before we dive into the book, it'd be nice to hear a little bit about your career, because from what I can tell, you moved up fairly quickly. I mean, it, it took you a while, but you achieved your goal. You ended up being in, in a C-suite at a major company, at General Electric. And I think it'd be kind of interesting to hear a little bit about how you did that and then how you moved on to where you're at today. Yeah, you know, uh, John, a lot of it was was the way that GE was set up. It was for a long time, this le- this factory for leadership and for management. And I started in a leadership development program right out of college, did that for quite a few years, actually, my first five years at GE were all in leadership development programs. I didn't get my first quote unquote real job until about six years in. And at that point, I had gotten so much exposure to different industries and business cycles, different GE businesses. GE is a much different company now, but when I was there, it was just sprawling and you had an opportunity to see different industries. And, um, you know, it, it really was a type of company where the more you put into it, the more you got out of it. 
And so I actually have had a few people ask me, like, how did you get to become a public company CFO at age 37? Right. As if I found some shortcut. And I didn't. I I worked a hundred hour work weeks during my twenties. <laughs> yes. And there there really wasn't any shortcut. I just, you know, basically worked two decades worth uh, in one. Um, and GE was the kind of company that, you know, the more you did that, the more you got out of it. Um, and so I was there for 13 years, actually. And my last uh, four years there, I, I was a divisional CFO. Mm. And it was a lot of the, what GE had laid out for me, right? Just I, I took different experiences and different aspects of finance. And I just got to see so much in such a mm. short amount of time that I uh, you know, got to a divisional CFO role. And it was that divisional CFO role that actually... Um, you know, I enjoyed so much, but I actually started thinking about what it would be like to be a CFO of an entire company mm. and not just a division. And that's what led me to ultimately leave GE for a private equity backed CFO job. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, I think you're, you're, you're right on top of something. And that is, you know, if you're working for a big company like General Electric, I work for ABB, which was a large global company as well. There were so many opportunities to get education, get training, get experiences. And uh, like you, I took advantage of every single one of those uh, and got a lot of great, you know, learning experience and ended up running running a plant at 32 years old. I got my first manufacturing plant and uh, then I just ran, you know, eight different manufacturing plants after that. So but I took advantage of those learnings and those opportunities. And I think, you know, when you're in a role like that, there's so much available to you. And it sounds like you really took advantage of those things. Yeah, I, I was very fortunate in that regard. And lots of companies today have a similar blueprint where they, you know, big companies are a great place, I think, to start a career because of exactly what you described. Right, right. I often tell younger people when they're talking about starting their own business, they're like, you know, what what advice would you have for me just when I'm starting my own business? And I say, well, go work for a major corporation in your industry or in the thing you want to do and get all that free education, right? Get all that free knowledge and experience. And, you know, I'm a better CEO now of a, of a startup company that I would have been if I hadn't done, had all that experience, uh, you know, right. working, working in, you know, corporate America. So, yeah. So you've got a new book out. I want to talk to you about this. It's called um, What They Didn't Tell Me. So uh, tell us a little bit about the book and why you wrote it. Yeah. So the uh, the title is interesting. Each of the chapters in the book, the title of the chapter is a piece of feedback that I got. In many cases, it was something that was a little hard for me to hear at the time. <laughs> um, but it was, you know, there were just things that people had told me or said to me. And with time and experience and context, I understood that there was a deeper lesson to be learned. Mm. And so that's why the book is titled What They Didn't Tell Me, because I've now been able to contextualize those lessons and and put them into a you know format that I think is actually you know pretty easy to read it's it's basically like a memoir mm. um and it's my story from when I graduated college to you know to when I got to axon and, and a little bit beyond but it's really for folks to um you know to understand how I got to where I did because I didn't have a blueprint you know my parents came in from Pakistan um, I was born here first generation. Um, they wanted me to be a doctor or an engineer, right? I talk right. about this in the book. That's something that's in, um, in South Asian cultures is very dominant, right? You, mm-hmm. Your kids have to be a doctor, an engineer, maybe a lawyer. Right. And I tried that in college. I was a, a pre-med. I went in pre-med. Okay. And I got a C in chemistry my freshman year. My dad was devastated because he has his master's in chemical engineering and he's a chemical engineer by trade. 
And so I said, guys, I, I can't do this. Like, I know you want this for me. I don't want this. And yeah. I um, ended up being an economics major and they were a little unsure what I was going to do with that. I ended up getting an internship with Fidelity Investments. And so they're like, all right, fine. At least he's going to, you know, have a, have a job. Right. Um, and, and so they, you know, uh, from there, it just, it, it progressed and I got my job at GE and then they were uh, very supportive, but it was, um, you know, a little unclear to me, like what, you know, I didn't have that blueprint. I didn't go to an Ivy league school. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I didn't really have parents like, or other mentors I could follow that uh, got to become C-suite executives. I had to figure it out along the way. And so, you know, a lot of what I talk about in the book is um, how I did it. And it, a big part of that was just understanding um, that the further you get in your career, less and less of your success comes down to you individually and mm. more and more comes down to how you, how effective you are at building teams mm. and how, you know, how resilient those teams are. Um, and that's probably the, the biggest thing I learned that, that, you know, people didn't tell me is that so much of your success comes down to, you know, your ability to be a great leader. Mm. So that's really interesting. So let's talk about that a little bit, because one of the things I saw in corporate America is that you'd have, you'd have really good people who were very talented as individual contributors, right? They might be really good accountant, or they might be a really good engineer, really good quality person, uh, good in manufacturing, engineering, say, or something. And then we always take those individuals and we would put them in leadership roles. And they were, they were a good individual contributor, but then they got sort of promoted and they got moved into a leadership role. And a lot of times they weren't trained to be a leader, right? They were trained to be a really good accountant or a really good engineer, but, but they really were out of their league when it came to, you know, being a leader and running, running a team. So, and what you just mentioned is really important in, in terms of your career and advancing your career is actually having a team and effectively running a team and letting the organization see that you can run a team. So where where did the leadership lessons, where did your leadership lessons come from? How did you develop that to be able to move higher and higher up the organization? Where did your leadership uh, opportunities come from? Yeah, you know, one of the lessons, John, I learned early on is that you can give anyone a title and then people will follow them because they have to. But that's very different from following that person because you want to, hmm. right? And just because you now have a, you went from an individual contributor and now you have a title where you're a manager or director or whatever it is, that doesn't automatically make you a leader. You have to choose to be a leader. And the what I talk about in the book are that there are basically four traits that I found in people that are the foundation for uh, someone who's a leader. And it's a strong sense of integrity, a sense of accountability, uh, someone who's very collaborative, that they emphasize the team success over their own, and then a strong sense of positivity. And what I mean by that last one is I, I tend to view the spectrum of positivity or negativity uh, as something that comes to a very fine point. And mm. some people will see themselves as realists. But what I really believe is that in times of adversity, which way do you trend? Do you trend towards positivity or towards negativity? Mm. Right. And that's where it becomes really important because that's, and that's how you get resilient teams. When you have a team of people that when times are tough and they're faced with adversity, are they going to roll up their sleeves? Are they going to see the opportunity and the challenge and help each other out and, and really grow? Or are they going to start to gripe? And are they going to complain? Are they going to point fingers? Are they going to, you know, talk about, how unfair certain situations are, mm-hmm. talk about workplace politics, right? All things that you can't sort of outside of your control. Uh, and, you know, we've all worked with people like that. 
Uh, and so I you know, tend to look for people that have that strong sense of positivity along with those other traits. And what I've learned is that when people have those traits, collectively, for me, it's like a, a shortcut uh, for trust. I know I can trust that person. Right. Okay. And when they also are the types of people that tend to engender those traits in, in other folks. And that's to me, someone that I know can be a leader, even if they're an individual contributor, if they've got those four traits, then they're the type of person that Sunday is going to be able to rise to the level of, uh, of being a leader. Mm, interesting. So it's funny because, you know, you, you, you know, we see, I think even I was reading a little bit about you know, some of the stuff that, that I read about you is that we see a lot of people kind of not happy at work, right? We see like half the workforce kind of upset, you know, uh, 30% engagement. Um, and a lot of it uh, is, has to do with leadership. And a lot of the things that you mentioned here, integrity, accountability, uh, or, or being accountable, co- collaborative, and positivity, a lot of those things are not, don't exist in managers, at least in my experience, uh, especially managers uh, that get promoted. A lot of them are just promoted based on they get results, right? The uh, the numbers get good. So let's keep moving this person up. We don't really care how they got the numbers. So how do you foster an environment where these are actually the, the type of leaders, leaders we want in an organization? Yeah. There, so you said a couple of things in there, John, I want to address. Um, you know, one of the first things I like to tell people who are feeling lost or unhappy is, is to, actually I tell everyone this to define your North star. When I interview mm-hmm. folks, I do a lot of interviews. It's the very first question I ask everyone, what's your North star? Where are you mm-hmm. headed? What do you want to do long-term? Some, something to that effect. And you'd be surprised how few people have actually thought through it well enough to be able to give you a crisp answer. Mm-hmm. Very few people. Occasionally you'll have the person that says, I want to be a CEO. I want to be a CFO. I want to be uh, you know, a, a, a software engineering manager, whatever it is, right? Uh, very few people actually say that. People just sort of talk vaguely in terms of what's interesting to them, what they want out of their careers. And for me, the problem with that is if you were setting off on a journey in your car, you wouldn't just get in your car and start driving aimlessly, right? right? If you were to pull over and ask someone for directions, the first thing they're going to ask you is, where are you going? Yeah. And if if you can't articulate that for yourself, how is someone else going to help you? Right. That's the most important thing is that you've got to define for yourself, where is it that you're going? And it's okay to change that along the way. For a long time, my North Star was to run a business. Mm. And I feel like in a lot of ways, ways I've achieved that. Uh, and and so, you know, because at Axon, I own more than just finance. I, you know, run the support functions and our consumer business. And so I recently redefined my North Star to be focused more on building and developing high-performing teams that are having transformative societal impact. Because to me, I'm not focused on a promotion anymore. I'm not trying to, you know, figure out what's next in my career. I, I have now the luxury to focus on others and developing their careers. Mm. And I want to do that in a way that's also having an impact on society. So you can change your North Star along right. the way is my point. Right. But you have to have that. You have to define it for yourself. And once you do that, you'll look at yourself differently. Others will look at you differently because they'll be able to give you crisper, more relevant advice for where it is that you're trying to go. Um you know, I think it's also important to think about, you know, autonomy, right? Like I'm very big on not being a micromanager. Mm. Okay. And this is something that, you know, you have to get, you have to, you have to be square with yourself. Like some people like being micromanaged. You know, I think a lot of people don't. Um, And you have to understand, I think once you've defined your North star, okay. The first thing you have to ask yourself is 
the company that I'm at, the role that I'm in, if I now project out a few roles in the future, will this help me get to my North Star eventually? Mm. Okay. If the answer to that is no, then you should probably leave, right? Otherwise, like you're wasting your time, right? You're not going to really, uh, just, just by chasing a promotion or a bigger job title or, you know, a little bit more pay. Those things are typically markers of success, but if they're not helping you eventually reach your, your goal, your North star, then that's how people end up getting disgruntled, right? Or, right. or not happy. Right. Right. So it's really when you're seeking experiences and not jobs, right. That are helping you towards your North star. That's what I found really helps drive a lot of fulfillment. So talk about your early career. You, you had a, you had a North star at, at being a C-suite in, in a C-suite position. And in, in, in this case, a CFO, when, when did you develop that North star? How early on and how long did it take you? And, and what, what steps did you have to take to get to that uh, end result? You know, I, I talk about this in the book, John, uh, of an experience I had probably about eight years into my career. I, I, you know, talk about those leadership development things that I did. And I had roles where I basically just kept my head down and worked hard. And somebody would tap me on the shoulder and say, Hey, this job has come up. Why don't you come over here and take it? And I did that for a particular role at a division of GE where I had never worked before. And I get there and a month later, my manager said, the manager who I came to work for, I had worked for him before. He then says, Hey, I just got tapped to go somewhere else in GE. And so now I was in this, in this, you know, corner of the company where I had no network at all. I had no brand. People didn't know me. And I felt like, I felt really like my career had stagnated and I was at a dead end. Mm-hmm. And that's when I stopped and asked myself, what is it that I want? I've been mm-hmm. waiting for other people to dictate yeah. my career for me. Yeah. And I realized if I keep doing that, if I keep waiting for someone to, if I just keep my head down and, and wait for someone else to tap me on the shoulder, I'm going to end up where other people want me. Right. So I, that's when I said, no, what is it that I want to do? And that's when I thought about what really excites me. And I love being an operator, right? It sounds like you've got a lot of this in your blood as well. Yes. And I didn't necessarily uh, say the CEO was my North Star. I use a CEO title as a proxy because a CEO will you know, run a business. So I said, hey, you know what? I want to look at other CEOs and see how they got there um, through a finance track. And there are lots of CFOs that end up becoming CEOs. Yeah. So I started with the CEO role. And I worked backwards from there. And I, I said, you know, I'd love to be a public company CFO, maybe a private company CFO before that, maybe a divisional CFO. And I just kept working backwards from there. And I looked at all the experiences that I needed to go from where I was to where I want to go. Mm. And I, I wish I could tell you it worked out exactly as I hoped. <laughs> a lot of it's serendipity and, you know, yeah. luck along the yeah. way as well. Uh, but once I did that, I, again, I stopped focusing on the um, sort of markers of success that are traditional. I, I did get approached by recruiters to go take a job for for more money, for a bigger title. Right. right? And, and I, I said no. And I probably wouldn't have said no in the past. But after I defined my North Star, what I realized was this job um, is not going to give me the additional experience that I need, the incremental experience to keep marching up. Mm. And that's something I look for now when I interview candidates and they tell me they've got 20 years of experience and whatever it is that they're doing. I really look to see, did they really have 20 years of growth, right? Where they took successively more challenging jobs and, you know, different sets of experiences, or did they do the same thing 20 years, you know, in a row that those are very different experiences. Um, And so I, I tend to be a fan of looking for new experiences, right? If you did the same thing, if you're an FP&A, for example, uh, and you just, you grew an FP&A, 
well, even though you may have theoretically had different experiences, it's a very narrow track, right? Right. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Is your boss a jerk? I understand you're in the hospital, but I'm going to need you to come in today. Do they lack any ability to actually lead people? Oh, it's fine. I'll, I'll just find somebody else that can do it, okay? John is offering a new service just for you. For only $10, he will anonymously mail a copy of his best-selling book, I Have the Watch, to your boss with a personal note. Go to IHaveTheWatch.com and enter the discount code BOSS at checkout. Deep Leadership is brought to you by my friends at the Bottom Gun Coffee Company. Bottom Gun is owned and operated by U.S. submarine veterans, and no one knows coffee better than the men and women who serve long hours keeping watch under the sea. Bottom Gun Coffee Company has a variety of coffee blends designed to keep you moving. From Ahab's Revenge Extremely Strong Coffee to their morning blend, Bottom Gun purchases only premium certified organic coffee beans from all over the world to create the finest tasting coffee you will ever experience. It's what I drink every day. Bottom Gun is offering a discount to the listeners of Deep Leadership. Go to BottomGunCoffeeCompany.com and enter the discount code DEEP at checkout. Bottom Gun Coffee, the taste that's qualified. What are some other ways that people get stuck in their careers? You know, I think uh, a lot of people also um, don't put a lot of value. And I'm, I'm seeing this now in the workforce where they're not putting a lot of value in um, their own development, whether it's an mm. MBA or maybe it's a course in, in, in speaking or they join the Toastmasters, right? Uh, people tend to get there. There is such such a thing, I think, as being overly focused on the experience just mm. because you started a company with your friends when you were, you know, 22 years old, and maybe it didn't work out, but you know, it got to be a certain degree, certain level of uh, growth and revenues, and whatever, and maybe it didn't work out. But that experience alone is not enough. Like there is a lot of value in something like an MBA. There's a lot of value in making the development in yourself. I, you know, for a long uh, time, I had um, at GE would give you lots of training on, on public speaking and mm-hmm. just being a very crisp and concise communicator. And I augmented that outside of work. I would take uh, training classes. I did Toastmasters for a little bit. I uh, would watch the YouTube videos and yeah. learn all about, you know, what is it that makes people a very, what, what makes people very uh, compelling speakers, compelling to listen to all that stuff matters. Because again, the, the further you get in your career, you know, when you get into the C-suite, a lot of what people want to know the other executives, a board of directors, they want to know, is this person credible? Mm. And are they going to be viewed as a credible leader by employees, by investors, you know, by other business partners or other companies. Mm. And so much of that comes down to communication. So making that investment in yourself, uh, the MBA, I'm a a very, very big fan of, I think everyone should, you know, get an MBA if, if you're, you know, in a, in a corporate environment, because there's so much value, you know, to be derived out of, out of that. Also just getting a different perspective, mm. right. Um, and, and being back in an academic environment, if I tend to be a fan, be a fan of doing it. Maybe when you're like a decade into your career, so like a part-time MBA or an executive MBA, yep. because the longer you wait, the more you get out of it. It's, it's really tough at age 25 to get the same thing out of an MBA that you could get out of it at 35 or even, you know, 40 or 45. 
um, just because you haven't seen enough, right? You right. haven't seen right. several business cycles or industries, et cetera. So uh, I am a, a fan of the MBA again, because it, it gives you frameworks and mental models in an academic setting that you can use in a professional environment. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And I do, I do agree with what you said in terms of like waiting a little while. I did that in my career and I think it made it made a world of difference because I was ready for it. Like I want, I was, I was curious. I, I had some experiences, but I really, you know, it, 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 it kind of put all the pieces together, at least for me personally. And uh, so it is a good program, but I think I like, I like what you talked about um, earlier in that, in that portion where you said, you know, it's about it's about personal development, right? It's about growth. What are you doing to challenge yourself, push yourself, learn? You know, how many how many people people get in their car, they start up, they go to work, and they put on you know top ten radio or whatever, top fifty radio, and they listen to the radio on the way to work. When right now, I mean, there's so many amazing podcasts out there about, about you know leadership and business and and marketing and whatever your whatever your craft is or what are the things you you, you want to hone your skills you want to hone, there's a podcast on that and audibles and audible books you can listen to on your way to work. I mean, there's so many ways today you can learn just by, you know, exposing yourself to the things that, you know, maybe weaknesses or, or you have a lot of interest in. I mean, you right now, I think you can find so many different ways to learn and to grow. And I like what you said, you know, public speaking is really important. So, you know, how can you find opportunities to public speak even outside of work? And it sounds like you you explored those as well. Yeah, it, I agree with you completely, John. I really like what you said there. Um, people talk about how we're in the golden age of TV and there are yeah. all these great TV shows. I think we're in the golden age of learning and there's just so much knowledge out there, you know, on, on podcasts like yours, on blogs. Um, you know, it's just easier than ever for folks to to write books and to put content out there. And sure, yes, sometimes it's okay to sit back and you know watch TV or listen yeah, to the top yeah. forty. But you know you can get a lot of value out of just putting on a, a podcast like yours. Um, there's just so much knowledge that you can gain, and it's it's all additive, right? The podcast you listen to, um, you know the the YouTube video you watch on public speaking, or maybe I actually read a lot about human psychology uh, mm. and about how the brain works, and um, you know I read a lot about. Um, biases, like cognitive biases, because yes. in, in yeah. my role, like, you know, you, you work with some really strong personalities yes. and <laughs> both with other execs, with investors. And like, yep. I really, I try to understand people's motivations or how, how they're trying to accomplish what it is they're trying to accomplish. So reading about, you know, things like that is valuable as well, but it's all yeah. out there. If you just, if you uh, make the effort. Yeah, absolutely. There, there never has been a better time to learn. I think it's, I think it's a golden age of audio right now. It seems like yep. you can get a lot of things, um, you know, in an audio format that on your, on your phone and you can, you can constantly be learning. I think it's fantastic. Um, so when you, um, you talk about, you talk about leadership, let's go back a little bit to leadership and, and, and the skills you developed. Um, so you mentioned, uh, integrity, accountability, uh, collaborate, uh, collaboration, positivity. So what are some other characteristics that you found of, of, of leaders that, get to the levels of the C-suites? What, what are the, what are the, I mean, is you, when you start off of your role as a leader, you might have a small team. You have maybe have six to 10 people maybe that you're leading. And then when you end up in a role like you're at, you're at, or I ended up at, you have very large teams and you have, you know, chain of command and you have structure. What are some things that you saw evolve in your leadership style as you went to bigger and bigger roles? 
Yeah. So I love this question. Um, and I talked a little earlier about micromanaging versus not micromanaging. Yeah. I'm very big on uh, not only giving people autonomy, but having empathy and understanding um, what it is that motivates people. Mm. Right. Like this was for me the, the switch that I had to make when I went from an individual contributor to a manager. I viewed my team initially as, okay, I've got these resources and they're doing work and I need to synthesize their work and understand, you know, there's more work getting done in one area, less work in another. Like, how do I, like, what's the yield maximizing effort, you know, to, to make that work. And it, it's really not so much about that. It's more about people. Like, who are these people that right. are doing work? What motivates them? You know, why are they doing what, what they're doing? And, you know, what are their passions and desires and what are their fears? And, you know, like, you've got to, you have to really care about that. Mm. Uh, because like, yes, the work itself is important and the work needs to get done, but ultimately people who are in a, a work, the, the majority I've found the vast majority of people who are in, in a, in a workplace setting care so deeply about their own development and mm. about doing the job, right. You know, and about making, having an impact and helping the company and maybe helping society, right. Everyone has that. So don't worry about that. Like trust them, right? That's why the mm. trust is so important for me. And once you trust them, then you can focus on, well, what is it this person needs that I can help provide? Do they need help prioritizing, right? Do they need help? Maybe they're not so great with public speaking or they put out prodigious amounts of work, but they can't really synthesize that into very concise bullet points. Um, and you can't do any of that unless you have empathy and you really care about mm. your people and understand what it is that, you know, that they need. Um, the other thing that the other reason this is important is you need empathy to not be a micromanager. And that's so important because the mm. higher up you go, the bigger your job gets, you will drive yourself crazy being a micromanager. Yes. Right. It's just, it's impossible. Yes. Um, and, and I've, I've seen it. I've seen some pretty big leaders still be micromanagers and, and they just work around the clock and they're stressed out all the time and they don't have great work-life balance and, their families are stressed, but then their employees are stressed. I, you know, I could tell you, we talked earlier about the making the investment in yourself and your education. There's nothing more demotivating than having someone come to you, a manager come to you and tell you not only what they want you to do, but how yeah. they want you to do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause you made this effort. You went, you got the MBA, you watched the YouTube videos, right? right you read right. the books, yeah. you listened to the podcasts and now someone's trying to dictate yeah. how to do right. And that's another reason trust is so important. Um, I'm very big on failure as a teacher and yeah. I will oftentimes let my teams go down a path that I know is not going to end well, yeah. because ultimately like, like the, it, it's not the end of the world if they fail, right? There are very few things that we do that have such dire consequences that we can't, you know, walk them back. And I let, I, I give them coaching, right? I don't want them to fail, but sometimes it's okay for people to learn lessons on their own and they can't yeah. learn that lesson any better than if they do it and it doesn't work. Right. Yeah. So, so failure is one of those emotional teachers, right? So when we, it's very visceral, when you fail, nobody wants to fail. Everybody wants to succeed, right? When you fail and you have that chance to sit back and think about why you failed and what you can do differently, that's a much better teaching tool than, you know, putting the guardrails out and preventing anyone from failing. If you really want right. them to advance in their career and to really learn, they're going to have to have those times where they get burned. They're, they're, you know, their hand touched the hot stove and that didn't feel good. Right. So I know not to do that again. Right. So it's, I think sometimes we, we even do that with our children, right? I'm a father. I've got two boys, right? We, we, we try to, 
you know, tell, try to protect them from having those experiences where they get hurt, right? But those are some of the best experiences that they're going to they're going to learn from that, right? And I think that's really important for our people. If we want them to learn, they have to have a chance to, you know, give give them the authority, right, to do the job. And I always say, as a leader, I I always have the responsibility. So if they fail, I'm responsible. But I give them the authority to be able to do the job and have that opportunity to succeed or or fail. And if we delegate, we delegate um, authority, but we we hold on to responsibility. That's the best way to go. The other way is you you delegate uh, response. What, what I see a lot of times is bosses will delegate responsibility, but they hold all the authority to themselves. They, so if they fail, they say, "Oh, see, look at you failed, right?" And yeah. they throw the, they throw their people under the bus uh, if anything goes wrong. So that, so we we get that wrong sometimes. Is but I think it's really important that we we delegate. Uh, the authority to our people. And then we always protect them with the responsibility. Yep. That's really well said. Yeah. Yeah. This is really good. So, um, so what, um, how can people find out more about you and this book? I think this is fantastic. So my uh, personal website is juadasan.com and I've got a little bit of information there about myself, the book, uh, the book's available on Amazon. Um, it's, uh, paperback hard hardcover we got an audiobook actually the the um person that we had do the narr- the narration for the audiobook is fantastic he did an amazing job oh good uh, good yeah so i encourage uh, you to listen to the audiobook and if you want to check out more about our company axon go to investor.axon.com uh one of the things that i'm very big on is j- just getting visibility to my team and so if you go to if you go to that website, you can see some of our earnings videos where we recap our recent uh, quarterly performance okay. uh, in a video, just talk about the exciting things that we're working on the company. I, I love this company. I love Axon. Our mission is to protect life. Yes. Uh, the company used to be called Taser International, yes. and we rebranded into Axon once we got into body cameras and software. But all of our products, everything that we do is geared towards either protecting life or bringing more transparency to law enforcement through our cameras and software. Uh, we're having an impact every day. And it feels like with everything going on in the country and frankly, in the world right now, we were built for this moment, you know, our, our products and our solutions. And it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's pretty exciting to be a part of. Absolutely. Yeah. I was, I was on your website today <laughs> looking at all the products you have and, and you are definitely in a sweet spot right now in terms of the way things are moving in the world. So I think it's what you, what you do at your company is really important. Thanks, John. Yeah. Well, this has been fantastic. It's nice to meet you. And and I really appreciate you being on the show and sharing all this experience. I think for those that are listening, uh, wherever you're at in your career, hopefully you took some things away from it. Uh, and the biggest question you have is what, what, what's your North Star? What are you, what are you working towards? And how can you craft your career to be able to get to your North Star? And remember that, that the only person responsible for your career is yourself. Don't, 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 you know, give that to someone else in the organization. They're not going to take care of you like you're going to take care of you. So I think that's probably, if you can remember those things from this podcast, I think you'll, it'll uh, help you to get unstuck if you feel like you're getting stuck in your career. Yeah. And I, w- I would encourage folks as well to, to visualize it, you know, write it down. We, yes. uh, and I've, I've done this, I've done, um, magazine covers, fortune magazine covers, right? I've, yes. I've, uh, written letters to myself. I've written headlines and, and just imagine things that visual is so powerful. Mm-hmm. If you can create that and just focus on it, pull it out every once in a while and just remember why you're doing what you're doing. The, the visual is very, very powerful. Mm, wow. 
That's fantastic. Well, this has been really good. I really appreciate you being on the show and, um, and we'll put um, links to all of uh, your resources. We'll put them on the, on the show notes so people can find it. And I appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Jawad, for being on the show. Thanks so much for having me, John. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Rennie saying take care and lead well. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all you do. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care. Take care.